Good evening, and welcome to tonight's performance of the Royal Philharmonic Chainsaw Massacre with your host, Matt and Graham. Hello! How are you? Uh, I'm alright. We're okay, aren't we? We're fine. <laughs> Says the woman who's had COVID. Yes, I am in the last couple of days of my isolation period following a positive COVID test. Just before my birthday. Yes, so I haven't been too poorly, luckily, but I did ruin both Matt's birthday and my mum's birthday. But not Christmas, although it remains to be seen. This means that we haven't been able to go and watch Spider-Man, but fingers crossed we'll do that just before Christmas, you know, which essentially we're in. <laughs> we're in? Just before Christmas. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Do you know what day it is? No. <laughs> Everything has merged into some kind of horrible, horrible, long blur. <laughs> so yes, unfortunately, we have not been able to go and watch and therefore provide our thoughts on Spider-Man No Way Home. But we will. God damn it, we will. Yes, we will. Fingers crossed it will come from the next episode. Mm -hmm. so, yes. But we have had a chance to watch a bunch of films, haven't we? We certainly have. <laughs> Can you name any of them? No, I like I said, long, horrible blur. <laughs> well, we watched Jingle All The Way. We did watch Jingle All The Way, yes. Classic 90s comedy, which we reviewed in Full Movie Podcast. We also watched Love Actually, which uh -huh. we have also reviewed in Full Movie Podcast. We watched Ralph Breaks the Internet, which was kind of terrifying at the end. Yes, it was. Uh, it was somewhat... <laughs> yeah, big giant Ralph made out of smaller Ralphs. <laughs> that's not fun that's not a fun thing grotesque what i also didn't like about it was that it made me like an imagine dragon song oh no oh no get out and i made you watch silent night deadly night yes it was great <laughs> it's that perfect kind of 70s early 80s horror with lots of unnecessary bare breasts and ridiculous gore and i really enjoyed it i am glad about that and then also you watched We Need to Talk About Kevin. I did. And how did you find that? It was sad. Aww. Why? Well, because it's about mass murder. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... Not a, not in a fun way. No. <laughs> Is there ever a fun way? Yes. <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, fair enough. Good point. I have never seen the film, but I have read the book and I know that it's bleak. Yeah. And speaking of We Need to Talk About Kevin... We should tell people about the time that I spoke to Kevin. We should. That is Kevin Eustace of We Need to Talk About Ghost Fame. Ah, ah, ah. He's never murdered anyone. I don't think so. Not as far as we know. I don't think so. I mean, he, he seems like a lovely guy, so I... Yes. <laughs> you know, touch wood. No, he hasn't, but you never know. Mm. You never know. I did a fantastic interview with the lovely Kevin Eustace from... We need to talk about ghosts and the dark paranormal. Now, I could bang on about oh, we need to talk about ghosts for ages because I've been a fan of his for years now. And it is literally years. Mm. I'm also the moderator on the Facebook. I speak to him regularly. He's just like a lovely guy. But I will say this. The dark paranormal is actually my favourite paranormal podcast. Wow. It, and that's that's high rank, you know. Mm. I, I love a lot of podcasts do with ghosts, but the dark paranormal. I love his spin on these stories. Some of them are like stories about freaky things that happen in Hollywood or in films, or you know, related to films. 
because I think he likes films. Mm-hmm. I hear he does. I think he likes ghost movies. But then he also has a segment where he tells the more creepier and somewhat freaky ghost stories. And I just love that podcast. I mm. think it's absolutely fantastic. So without further ado, let's talk to Kevin Eustace from We Need to Talk About Ghosts about his top 10 horror films of all time. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Matt. How are you? I I'm I'm pretty awesome actually. You know things are going good, and and you are one of my first few interviewers ever. Hooray! Yay! I'm very privileged for that. Um, <laughs> you say you're very good. You are because you're an awesome human being. I just like to say that first. I'm going to give you a platitude right off the bat. Oh, you! I, I know. I have to say uh, this, this is strange because normally you're the one interviewing me, so the tables yeah. have turned. <laughs> Very and, true, and we're not talking about well, we're talking about horror, I suppose, but we're not talking about ghostness per se. No, no, but I, I, I will update you on ghosts at some point soon. I promise you. Ooh. I also will say there's no Freya here. She's fucked off to go out with her friends, which is all right, I guess. But she's left me in charge of a laptop and a microphone, and I don't know what I'm doing. <sighs> a fair polite way of saying that she doesn't like me very much. <laughs> no, no, no. I tell you, actually, you've never actually spoken to Freya, have you? I don't think so. It's a, no, it's a, oh, no, wait there. No, I haven't. I've spoke to her when we, me and you had a phone call when I was in Winsford a few months ago. Mm. And we were discussing a certain situation that mm-hmm. was going on in the world of podcasting. And she was in the background shouting her opinion. And so we kind of spoke with you as the intermediary between the two of us. But no, I've not had the pleasure. Well, I'm fingers crossed you will at some point soon. So, I've got some questions for you before we crack on with your top ten horror films. And the first one is, what was your introduction to horror films? Oh, good question. I don't know. The thing is, unlike yourself, I am not very educated, even on the films that I like probably definitely going to get this wrong but i believe it was now you can very you're going to correct me on this and people listening will be like that's not that film what you're on about <laughs> i'm going to say night of the living dead but it might not be that film so basically i was being babysat by my brother he let me watch a film whilst he went upstairs and played on the computer or whatever else and it was about six maybe and it was a zombie slash sort of film and there was a scene in it, and it, so I don't know anything about, about the film other than this scene where there was like like zombies hidden within grandfather clocks or coffins, and they were circling this person, and they all came out at the same time. And I've always assumed it was Night of the Living Dead, and it might not be the exact... This is from memory, and I know that like my memory likes to remake things, and it was like over 30 years ago. So mm. chances are none of this actually took place. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that it's arguably whatever that film was, which I'm going to label as Night of the Living Dead, but it probably wasn't. Was it in black and white? Yes, it was, actually. I think it might have been Night of the Living Dead. Okay, yeah. I mean, because I must have said at some point, what the friggin' hell was that film? But, like, without the swear word, because I was six. Somebody must have said Night of the Living Dead for it to be stuck in my mind, because I wouldn't have known how to make that association otherwise. So, yeah, it possibly was. Do you know what? That's a really good first horror film and a good introduction because it, it, it's scary but also at the same time it's it's not like scary like the exorcist is although for a young young lad it probably would be it's like oh it's, it's the worst thing i've ever seen yeah it was harrowing only because it was 
alone downstairs at the time and I got proper into that particular scene because that's how my brain, you'll find as we go on to discuss these, my brain tends not to, doesn't really care about the bigger picture in terms of story normally unless it's an exceptional story. Right. I'm more about, you know, I will rave about a particular scene within a film and be like, that's the best thing I've ever seen, even if the rest of the film is diatribe and bollocks. But, you know, if it's an awful film, I don't care if there's a really good, terrifying scene in it. That I think that was really well done. Sure, fair enough. I completely get that. That that that's decent, man. Okay, next question is: What do you get from horror films? Like, um, what what's the pros of horror films for you? I like the element of surprise, and I mean that in terms of as you, as I've become an adult, or Christ, I'm supposed to be an adult for over twenty years now. But <laughs> the more the more you watch these horror films, the more like yourself, like anyone who, who watches this select genre of films you know the tropes off the bat so you know like the double scare for example mm. you know open the cupboard music builds up you think there's someone in the cupboard there isn't the music mm. dies down and then you shut the cupboard and they're actually behind the cupboard and it's the double scare and everyone jumps you kind of prepare yourself for all those moments and when you're watching horror films if it's got those in you're like oh, oh come on do something that will actually surprise me i watch horror films now in the hope that i'll see something new and when I do, I'm really excited by it. I'm like, oh, the way they've done that, or, you know. Has there been anything, without spoiling your list, has there been anything stood out to you recently? Even if it's a TV show that's proper shit you up, you know? Well, no, but almost. Somebody nearly got it so right. Becca, my partner, doesn't watch scary films. She doesn't mm. believe in ghosts. She doesn't like watching. She doesn't like getting scared. <laughs> but on a Halloween, she will acquiesce and we'll watch a film. A year or two ago, we watched this film that's on Netflix. It's not one of me ten that I've chosen, which is called I Am The Thing That Lives Under The Stairs, or something like that. Okay. And there was a scene in that, and when I was watching it, I thought, oh, basically, what the scene was, it was at the start, she's on the phone, she's in the house alone, and she's on the phone, which is connected to the kitchen wall, like an old-fashioned phone. She's talking away, and she's looking into the distance, terrified, and as the camera's looking at her, you just notice on the wall, about 15 feet up in the air, there is one of the dining chairs stuck to the wall, but it's, it's not referenced. And I literally got like a chill down my spine. You know, if it cuts to a morning scene now and the chair's not there and it's not referenced again in the film, that will be one of the best things in terms of a horror film I've seen because mm. it's fucking about with you, with your conscience, you know, with what you think you're seeing. But then sadly, it done the breakfast scene and the chair was still up on the wall and it was just an ornament. And it was really disappointing because I thought that was the the chance there to do something which I've not seen in a horror film where... Because I was saying this to Becca, my ideal horror film could be watched twice. Or should I say, it could be watched by a believer and by a sceptic. And the storyline would be so good that uh, at the end of the film you could have an argument because the sceptic would be saying, no, it was all in the mind. And the believer could be saying, no, didn't you notice when they had that argument, the, the... alarm clock in the background and moved a few inches across so you know then the skeptic would have to watch it again and watch everything in the background to notice how it actually was supernatural i think that would be a really good one you know because it play into your belief system if everything took place in the background and was never referenced a skeptic wouldn't pick up on that because they'd follow the plot and at the end of it they'd be like no that was just a story about divorce and you'd be like no watch it again Watching the background, the door shuts on its own. That light comes on in the background. Da, 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 you know what I mean? I'd like the idea of that. So, so stuff where it doesn't have to be pointed out to you, there's something horrible going on. I think if you observe it yourself, it's brilliant because then you question whether anyone else has witnessed it. And it's kind of like, a, well, it's not interactive, but it is kind of interactive. 
No, I completely and utterly get that. That there's um uh there's a film called The Strangers, uh Liv Tyler film was released about ten, fifteen years ago. Like you say, some horror films there will use like uh, dramatic music to build up attention. Uh there's one scene that always stuck out to me and that's Liv Tyler's in this room, she's quite in front of the camera, and just behind, almost blurred, uh one of the attackers has entered the house and it's just silently walking through the house and i always thought that was just more scarier than you know an axe coming out or something like that exactly yeah you know? yeah so, subtlety okay. done well can be more terrifying than something right in front of your face i think yeah yeah definitely okay and final question is what do you avoid in horror films gore and not for the reasons most people associate with it i don't watch gore because it doesn't do anything for me. I'm, it doesn't, mm. I'm not like horrified by it. It doesn't make me feel sick. I don't think, oh my God, he's just lost an arm. I think the part, part of my brain which which understands you're watching a film and understands you're watching... I can't I can't suspend my disbelief when I see someone's arm being pulled off in a film mm. because, or, you know, or someone like a an axe murderer going nuts. Like stories, horror films, in inverted commas, where it's a human being, like the Halloween films... I know that they seem to have turned more supernatural as they've evolved, mm. but like where it's just a slasher or scream or it's just a murderer going about, they don't interest me because one, murderers happen in real life, and two, they're normally never to that extent. Do you know what I mean? It's normally even if it's a serial killer in real life, it's just a bit of a warped mind going around killing people. Sure. It's never with the with the mask on, with the axe, with the music playing, with the surprise chases. So that's more unbelievable to me and therefore I lose complete interest in it than anything paranormal because the difference between a murderous story in real life and murderous story on screen is that the murder on screen it's always fantastical you know they arrive yeah. wearing a scream mask and they have a catchphrase and they've got an axe and they'll hide in the loft and all these crazy things and you know that it's an exaggeration of a real life horrible situation yeah. whereas paranormal stuff done on screen sometimes it doesn't match up to the alleged things that took place. You know, the, the, the real story is scarier often than what happened on the screen. So, I don't know. I think I can suspend me disbelief more with a paranormal film. Well, I, I mean, it has to be said, um, I'm going to name drop your your other podcast, uh, uh, Dark Paranormal. Uh, I can't remember, is it season two you do about films, and then season, or was it one and then three? I can't remember which one. Yeah, we flip, we flip. So I think it was two and three. Oh, no, yeah, just more famous stories as alternate seasons. Yeah. And I always find them more interesting. Like, I know that you've covered Amateurville Horror, you've covered uh, The Exorcist, uh, I think you've covered uh, Haunting in Connecticut, was it, I think? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, those, those episodes are the ones that I absolutely adore. Those are the ones which I'm really interested in. Not just your spin, but the stories behind them and what... Yeah potentially really happened and what didn't happen you know like obviously hollywood films are gonna amp up the violence the 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 fantastical elements of a story you know but also at the same time there are little bits in there which are true and that that's what i find really interesting of course i i love all horror films really i mean when you say you don't like gore I'm not at all surprised by that. Um, in fact, actually, um, you're not the first person to say that you're not a fan of gore. 
and I get that. I completely and utterly understand it. There, there's like a couple of gory films which, because I I've got to do my top ten, and it's I, I was yeah. challenged by Emma that I'm not allowed to mention The Exorcist in it. So, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, one of the films I've got in my list is a film called Martyrs, which it's a French extreme horror film, and yes, it's quite gory, but there's there's a story in there which I've I've never seen before or or heard anything about. It's just yeah. it's almost even though there's all this gore in it, it's still actually quite beautiful, which is mm. that's that's kind of, that's interesting to me. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, but but then again, like you're saying, that's you know that seems from your description more involved in the in the story than some people will watch gore for gore. Say yeah, you know. Yeah, um, that's not my bag really. No, and I think that's that's kind of what I mean. I, I, whereas I will watch a paranormal film for mm. paranormal's sake, you know, to see if it does anything that will surprise me or a new way of them making somebody or attempting to make some, the, the general public scared by watching it. I, I will give them a a watch for watch's watch's sake. Sure, but I generally won't with gore because again, like we just said. But like like you're saying, if the story carries something through, then the story carries something through. Mm. Well, and thank you very much for answering those questions. Now it comes to your top ten. I'm guessing number ten is going to be Saw. Yeah, by any chance? Yeah, 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 basically. Cannibal Holocaust. All right. All right, go on then, mate. What is your number ten? Well, from ten to three, really, or 250, if you will. That's a time joke there. No, from ten to three, there's no real order, if I'm being honest. So I'll just say them as they come, because... It's really hard for me to... Uh, one, if you asked me to do a top five, I'd struggle. I can name ten films, and I know which would be two favourites. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I'd say ten, from the list I've provided with yourself, I'll go with the original Amateurville film. Okay, uh, now, cool. Like I've said earlier, I don't... You you know, you're the film guru with this, so I don't know... I know it was in the 70s, I don't know much else, but I'll tell you the reasons as to why it's on the list. Cool, yeah. There's kind of separate reasons, really. One, it was the first film that I wanted to see uh, as a horror film. And the reason for that was because I was always been interested in ghosts. Uh, literally since primary school, there was a rock in the corner of the playground that I used to convince people was haunted, this big stone. <laughs> and behind it, there was a ghost of a knight. I made up this big backstory of it. <laughs> and we had a ghost club and all this. And because of this, anyway, me dad, who was working for Telecom at the time... Mm. He used to work on the vans, and somebody on the vans in telecom gave him Jay Anson's The Amateurable Horror, yeah, the book, and um, he brought it home and went, yeah, you like ghosts, like about eight or something. I was like, brilliant, thanks. And I read it, and I couldn't sleep. And then, I, you know, I seen that there was a film about it, and I was like, can I watch this film? They're like, no, it's you know, it's mm. not for eight year olds. But then they kind of acquiesced and let me watch it, and I remember it being absolutely terrifying. But then it's interesting because it's one of those films that in later life, when it's about maybe, I don't know, 25, 26, I thought, you know what, I'll watch that again. And was like, Christ on a bike. The spaces in between the fear elements. How did I maintain an element of fear watching this film? Because there's like one scene, genuinely, I haven't timed it, but someone should. There's one scene where um, Kathy Lutz, whoever plays her in the film, is doing the dishes. And she's doing the dishes She's just doing the dishes. Like, it's, it's, it's like seven minutes of her, like, literally doing the dishes. And then it cuts to George outside, and he's chopping wood, and he's just chopping wood. And that's, again, about another, like, a 15-minute sequence 
were they just doing chores? And I'm like, fucking hell, they must have had some serious time to film. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, obviously, the newer version is like, you know, scare, story scare, story hmm. scare, story scare. So I do kind of, I've got a bit of a fondness to it because I've done those things like normality, you know, like had a bit of a, a thing within there. And I, I, I like the sort of the 70s tints on the horror films as well. All, all the best horror films come from the 70s, it has to be said. Yeah. Uh, it's really strange because my mum and dad had a copy of Jay Anson's Amsville Horror. And I, mm. I used to flick through books uh, when I was really, really young. One of the things that I remember stood out for me in the Jay Anson book was that there was a floor plan of the Amtville house in there. Mm. And yeah. I, I remember almost studying it, you know? And I, I just became a little bit obsessed with it. Yeah. I, I will say that very much like you, when I first saw the Amtville horror, it was on my mum's infamous let's watch this on a Saturday night whilst we eat burgers. We'll watch yeah. Carry On whatever after or before because that's what my mum used to do and I remember being really really scared of it and then I, I remember for ages I couldn't find it it was on TV every so often I'd watch it and then much like you I was late in my teens maybe in my 20s I watched it and it was oh this isn't that scary really I remember this being yeah absolutely petrifying when I first saw it so I, yeah. I completely and utterly get where you're coming from I mean, I think also cool. with it, with the um, the thing which it has kind of stuck through my life early, I suppose, is the thing that really got was the fact that, it, especially within the, the Jay Anson book, because it's literally plastered all over the front, is it was a true story. Yeah. And as a child, you don't have the you don't have the, the you know the critical thinking skills to think, well, how true or should it, you know the internet wasn't around for one, so it wasn't yeah. like you could just Google how legit is the story. You literally just sat there with a book that says on the front, this is 100% true. Mm. And you're reading about fantastical things in it. So you're going to believe it, as it did. Oh, that's, I mean, yeah, I completely and utterly understand where you're coming from there. And yes, it's not a film that's aged amazingly. But when we were younger, and like you said, there was no internet. All we could do was find out information from actual libraries. Or if we were lucky enough, there was going to be a TV report or a spooky yeah. ghost special it was always around halloween i still do that by the way i still look on every channel over halloween see if there's anything yeah, about so ghosts I, on yeah. there <laughs> but Ra- that- I tell you what's good radio's good for that actually if i buy a radio times around now and normally the bbc put out some quality programming around mm. halloween it, they're hidden away on like bbc4 bbc5 and stuff but they're generally quite good i've been over the years i've been relying on podcasts for my halloween fixes it has to yes, be said. Uh, it's normally it's you ghost story guys, real life ghost stories, that sort of thing. I, I'll yeah. just I'll religiously listen to them all over Halloween. Yeah, same, same. Excellent, well done, man. That's that's a good first choice. What's your number nine? Um, I've went with uh, well, when I say again, number nine, not, not necessarily in an order as such, but there's a film called When the White When the White When the Lights Went Out, which yes. is um. It's a film by Bill Bungay, who... It's a film about the black monk of Pontefract, mm-hmm. or the, the poltergeist of Pontefract, the, the haunting of the Pritchard family. In the UK, obviously, it's a very famous... Probably second only to the Enfield Horn, mm. arguably. But it's very interesting because the guy... It's interesting away from the film because the guy, the director, Bill Bungay, he bought the house, he bought the actual haunted house, alleged haunted house, yeah, yeah. Um, in East Drive. 
and he now rents he, he rents it out now to uh, like paranormal groups for a pretty penny and <laughs> like it's just a council house really and I think he got it like a council house price is maybe like 90 grand 120 grand somewhere yeah. in between there yeah. and um he charges like up to 500 quid a night for yeah. teams to go in and he's constantly booked up so you know apart from being a film director he's uh and he, I, I think he had something to do with moon the film moon but anyway he um apart from the film directing money that he's clearly made he's breaking it in over there as a business too <laughs> but the film itself is actually it's a very decent watch. It's a very good, strong watch for a paranormal film. And it's an English film as well. It's the to get the timing right in terms of the aesthetics because it's, the case took place, uh, I think it was late 60s. But they've got the aesthetics really right for it. It's filmed really well. It mainly takes place within the house. Mm. And yeah, and all of the family dynamics seem to work how you'd expect a northern family to, like a bit spit and sawdust. Everything works really well. The lighting works really well. It's a very scary film. The only issue with the film, uh, and there's going to be a few spoilers in this, in my discussions of these films, but do watch them regardless, mm. is that at the end of the film, there's kind of like an unnecessary grand reveal mm. of the Black Monk. And it's just not needed. It's not warranted. And not only that, it's done really poorly. It's yeah. like they do so well with this unseen entity that like creates havoc and slaps people in the face and drags people upstairs and does all this throws things around and you don't see a thing other than the impact it has on these this family's life and it's fantastically done mm. and then bizarrely they decide to personify him at the end and it's not just like a shadow of a monk appears it's done with this mad special effect it's like he's done 99 percent of the film and then said to his like seven year old son finish this for us we need a ghost because it's like <laughs> it's like kaleidoscope of colors behind it and like yeah. psychedelics and all and it's just and then it explodes and then that's it it's gone and it's just not warranted it's such a shame because up to that point it was almost the perfect film yeah, now it's a film which, um, for any American listeners, it's probably not readily available. I'm sure you'll be able to find it somewhere. It's a film which, like you said, it handles the family drama aspects of it really, really, really well. At the end, because it, it, it gets, um, I, I, I'll say it gets a little bit violent, but not gory, not horrible. It just gets yeah. quite aggressive towards the end. And then, yes, the, the final effect was just not needed. You, you don't need to see the monk, the ghost, the monster under the bed or anything like that. Yeah. And I completely get that. But I, I, I'm actually quite surprised because I thought one of your uh, little hang-ups about that film might be... The fact that they don't mention the the son, it's just the daughter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I don't mind things like that. It's uh, okay. And and um, you know what? It's because with and this isn't just an, an instant plug. It's a genuine thing. But like you mentioned, the dark paranormal, the other podcast that I do. It's because when I found that I'm because I script that it takes, pardon me, friends, but it takes bloody forever to do an episode because. It has, you know, I'm I'm then trying to, to to write in scary points. You can't just tell a story if you're trying mm. to entertain people. So there's a little bit of creative license that I, I have to take in order to try and you know make people as scared as I want them to be. Yeah. And so there's occasions, as just as I'm writing out, like in, from a creative writing aspect, where I'm like, this, you know, there's meant to be three of them in this car, for example. This isn't some. I'm just making this up. Yeah, sure. But you're like, there's meant to be three of them in the car, and I'll be thinking, yeah, but. 
nothing scary is going to happen for another five minutes. If there was just two of them in the car, this would be a lot more intense and a lot, lot more scary. And also, if the third person isn't really relative or relevant to what's going on in that particular part of the story, then I've, I've cut them out at times. Yeah, and no, somebody could very easily that. say, there was three in the car there, but at the same time, it's meant to be a scary experience. You know, so you've got to try and heighten it, I think. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, uh, there's a similar thing happened with uh, the access because obviously it wasn't a uh, little girl, it was a little boy. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. in St. Louis, I think it was. Yeah, I understand that you've got to change aspects of a film story to fit with, you know, the scares and how the audience are going to react, you know. So I, I completely get that. It's a, yeah. it's a good choice. It's a very good choice. And I I do recommend that film. Um Again, it, it's a little bit hard to get hold of. I know, I, I think I had to buy it from the 30 East Drive website. And I think, really? Yeah, I think it was like over here it costs, uh, for a DVD over here, it's normally between like five to ten pounds. And I remember I yeah. spent about 15 pounds on this DVD. Mm. And it's it's not yeah. a Blu ray, it's just a DVD. But, you know, it, it, it's a decent watch. So, well done, man. And also, yeah. not many people talk about it. So, good for you. Thank you very much. There's a, oh, you know what you said, have you got any honourable mentions? In this conversation about that, it just made me think, a, a good, another good English film, really good English like paranormal film, is, there's one called The Quiet Ones. Oh, yes, um, yes, yes. And it is, it is very good. It's, it's based more on EVPs and mm. stuff like that, but I believe it's also got, it's, it's spine, if you like, is based on, on, on a real psychic research group somewhere within the UK. So I believe it's, it's, you know, it's based very loosely on real events very loosely because obviously the end of it is just again it jumps the shark a bit but yeah yeah the quiet ones if anyone's just good i think that's also on the streaming services i think i think it's on uh over here in the uk it's on even netflix or amazon but yeah i yeah. i i remember seeing that and i remember the first time i saw it i wasn't a massive fan because it was a bit slow but then i re-watched it only about i think it was this year and it is it's a decent watch. So that, that's a yeah. good shout there, mate. Well done. There's some there's some really good good UK based things. I mean, go, have you seen Ghost Stories? The yes. The, forget who it is. Who used to know? But you know, like like a three part trilogy. Sort yeah, it's of. one it with from Paul a, Whitehouse. Paul Whitehouse is in it. Paul Whitehouse is in it. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic in it as well. Um, but again, that's uh, you know some there's some really good stuff out there if you. There's also a lot of shite, I suppose, as well, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. UK cinema could be going good. Yeah, there's, uh, unfortunately, horror is one of those uh, genres where it it doesn't cost billions to make it. It's not like one of these superhero films, you know. It, it's yeah. They're quite easy to make. All, all you need is a an empty house, a couple of lights, and then you yeah. do the special effects later on. It, normally, I mean, with the lights go out, it didn't cost that much, I'm guessing. No, Sorry. I wouldn't imagine so. But again, like, it ties back into what I was saying earlier about why I'll, you know, why, there's one film we'll get to where it's on the list just for one scene. And I think that, that like you're saying, you can make a horror film in the house, and yes, you can. And the storyline doesn't have to be, you know, some... I was going to say, I was getting confused between Troy and Roy of the Rovers, and was going to say Troy of the Rovers. <laughs> there's a, a crossover you never thought you'd have. But, like, it doesn't have to me. It doesn't have to... I'm really... I'm okay with just a very threadbare storyline, as long as the frightening parts they do well, as long as they make sense. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I I will never forget, and this is because obviously I say obviously I've been a long listener of yours, and like 
can't remember how many years I've been listening to uh, We Need to Talk About Ghosts, but I'll never forget yeah. there was one story where you tell a story about um, a poltergeist in a caravan. Mm. And I was always like, I know that sounds almost silly and it's not going to be yeah. that scary. But when I think about it, that that would be a really good location for a horror film. You know, you, you a caravan is yeah, so yeah. small that it'd be perfect. And much like uh, 30 East Drive and When Lights Went Out, it's, um, it's in a small council house. So... <laughs> decent you know it's fair play what is your number eight okay so um look i went for the crow because it's um (laughs) okay would would you say it's a horror film i I suppose you know everything within it is is he plays a kind of um a psychopomp i suppose doesn't he really (laughs) like a, a harbinger of death um comes back from the dead he's technically immortal he's technically a ghost and it's just Beautifully shot. I mean, yeah. I'm, it's there because I'm a big fanboy of gothic art, gothic style. You know, I, I, I like people who live in the darks to sounds too pompous to say, but I do like people who, who've got something interesting about them. And this, you know, this is a really crappy analogy, but in the same way, my partner Becca loves the sun, not the newspaper, obviously, but the weather. So, yeah. so she loves hot days and no breeze and it's stifling hot and you lay in it and you do nothing you just close your eyes and it bores the living life <laughs> out of me it really does i and i like today we had a storm on the mersey and I, I was in work today and when it came out it was blowing a gale it was rain and it was just dramatic and there was it was ever changing and there was things rolling about and i thought this is where this is makes you feel alive you know you can't just lie down close your eyes and do nothing with your life and this and the <laughs> getting back to the crow the crow <laughs> It's kind of the film version of that. Whenever you, anybody thinks of The Crow, you, you know you, you are not thinking about one scene in the daytime because there is no scene in the daytime that I can recall. I'm sure there might be, but in there, my mind, it's a completely dark film. There is only two scenes uh, in, the, in the daytime. Once when... Uh, uh, I can't remember the little girl. I'm going to say her name is Sarah. Or Sarah. Uh, she meets yeah. the cop for a hot dog during the day. And then, another, oh, yes, yes, and then another time, there's a bit where uh, they're in the police station. But those are the only bits that are shot during the day. It is a very dark film, but not because of the subject matter. It's dark because of the style of it. Would I class it as a horror film? I mean, it, it's definitely got the supernatural elements. I'd say a superhero, because it's kind of a revenge yeah. story. Uh, and also, it's based on a comic book. Did you, did you ever read the James O'Barr comic no no oh. and in all, all honesty i've not ever read a comic book um in the modern style of how people read comic books like um marvel or mm. dc or anything like that but there's a shop on bold street in liverpool called forbidden planet yep and i'm always very envious there's, there's like once every couple of months there's a big queue outside there because some edition must be getting released or mm. a new whatever is getting done and i'm always quite jealous of it. and i've said many a time to becky you know what I wish I was into that as much as they are because they're whatever they're going to buy today, they're going to be so absorbed in. It's mm. going to be a wonderful experience for them. I'm yet to do it. You're not a comic book guy, but I, I would recommend the James O'Barr because um, it's the original. I think it was uh, originally printed in the New York Times as a kind of comic strip, I think. Uh, oh, really? And it's based on his life to a degree because 
James O'Barr, uh, when he was at college, he had a car accident where his uh, then-girlfriend died in this car accident. Christ. And The Crow was his way of handling that event. And it's so... The, the, the comic itself... Uh, I'll, I'll stop calling it a comic. I'll, I'll call it a graphic novel. <laughs> um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> just out of respect for it. It is so stunningly beautiful. Everything is black and white and uh, Eric Draven looks like a cross between Robert Smith from The Cure and Iggy Pop. It, it's just a very yeah. very visual comic book uh, graphic novel. Oh, that sounds a bit silly it, it, it's just it's so beautiful it's such a good read uh, I would yeah, recommend I, that. I did want to start with the um, Constantine books because of the sure. supernatural yep. elements and also he's a scouser apparently yes he is so um yeah, so I did want to start with them. Yeah, I'm yet to take a plunge. I think that's what the next thing I'll get into, I think, is going to be yeah the graphic novels, as you quite rightly call them. <laughs> I must point out that I know that you're a fan of rock music. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't not talk about the soundtrack for The Crow. Oh, it's, it's exceptional, yeah. It is it fantastic. Is it is. It really is. And it's uh, it's got the best Cure song on it. It's got... Rollins Band, it's got Stone Temple Pilots, it's just yeah. a great soundtrack. I'm guessing yeah, that... Nail song is a, is, a, is a main song as well. It's hard to not to not listen to that soundtrack and, and I wasn't one of those kids, there was a lot of kids you'd watch Karate Kid and then you'd go to bed doing the crane kick up the stairs sure. thinking you were Daniel LaRusso. I'm more of the sort who'd listen to that Nine Inch Nails songs and walk around the streets thinking I'm Eric Draven until I then walk through the doors of work and have to put a headset on and go, welcome, thank you for calling. <laughs> Uh, fair, fair play, man. Um, you know what? You, you've convinced me. I, I'm, I'm going to say that the Crow is a horror film. So, well done, man. I'll take your word for that. Yeah, it was a bit of a sneaked in one, but yeah, it, it kind of is in terms of if, if you just wrote it on paper, you'd say yeah. It's the story of it is purely in the horror genre. So yeah, yeah, I get it. Cool, man. Okay, so what is your number seven? Next one, I'm going to say Fallen. <gasps> oh, you legend! Oh, that, oh, that is such an. Un- All oh, right, brilliant. Just, just talk, man. I can't wait to hear this. This, this is yeah, exciting I mean, for me. Like I say, I'm not. You're the film guy, so mm. you know. Thank you. <laughs> all, all, all you're the film guy. All I remember, because I don't watch films more than once, is the thing as well. And sure. the, there's certain exceptions, but you know, generally not. But I remember when I talked earlier about something that excites you that you haven't seen before in like a supernatural thing or to do something in a different way. And again, going back to what I was talking about, scenes and particular scenes can stick with you. And and especially in this genre, it's what makes me think that film's amazing. The, as I say, the rest of the film could be diabolical. That, that sticks with me, then that's magic. That's good. I'm, that, I'm never going to forget that. Yeah. And Fallen's got that in it. And the idea of the demon in the film transferring from person to person with touch... And there's a magnificent scene where Denzel Washington... It's Denzel Washington, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's walking down the street. And I can't remember the song. I can't even remember the song. But let's say... Time is on my side. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. So as um, he's walking and he sees... He thinks he sees the guy. And he must see like a ghost of the guy or something similar. And he's looking through the crowd, and the ghost touches a normal human being. Mm. But the demon's then passed into this human being, and the human being passes him, stares him in the eye, and starts singing that song. So Denzel stops and watches him go past. And then that human touches another human who's walking towards him, 
and then the demons in him and he looks at Denzel and continues with the song yeah and this back and forth goes on and it was just even now I get a chill thinking about it because it's such a wonderful and terrifying paranormal idea you can't you couldn't trap this thing as long as it's got the it's got the ability to be wherever it wants whenever it wants and torment you however it wants and it was portrayed really well within that film it's it's a film which I definitely class it as a horror film because obviously it's got the demon aspect for it. Um, yeah. A lot of people might think it's a, 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 a because it's got uh, Denzel Washington, who isn't known for doing horror films. John Goodman, you know Roseanne's husband, and oh, yeah. uh, James Gandolfini. It, it seems like it's going to be a drama, a thriller, that sort of thing. But it is yeah. it is such a good horror film, and it, if if I'm honest, it's one of those films which I stumbled upon it. I think it was like on BBC one night and I was just like eh, yeah. yeah let's watch it and I I was I was I was quite scared you know it, it yeah. it's quite freaky in parts and I know that moment that you you're talking about because it that's that's during the day and uh, um, uh, I think he ends up spoilers ahead for Fallen a film that was released in I think it was like 98 or 99 he he shoots somebody and he's a police officer and that person is completely innocent. But for those few seconds, that person was this demon, you know, this yeah. this evil entity that's killed people. And it's just so well handled. It is such a good film. Yeah. And, and again, the soundtrack's good. It's a lot of Rolling Stones on that soundtrack. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can't remember where it, uh, it ends with uh, either Sympathy for the Devil, the Rolling yeah, Stones I think song, it I does, think. Yeah, um, it But again, it's, it's the... Um, it's, Coming back to what I was mentioning earlier about the difference between like a serial killer slash sort of horror mm. is Fallen definitely has that thing that I was talking about. Whereas, so if I'm sat there watching Fallen and you've suspended your disbelief and you're buying into the fact that this demon can propagate its surroundings and it can be wherever it wants, whenever it wants, mm. you've got no control over it at all and it can do whatever it wants. That's t- That's terrifying for me because... I could then be where I'm sat on the couch and look over and look at a teddy bear and think, it could be in fucking that now. <laughs> Whereas if you're watching like someone with an axe, you know, I can look at the teddy bear and go, I'm going to hug you because there might be an axe man around. <laughs> so I don't know, especially if you, if you, if like myself, you, you already have a bit of a, an overly biased belief in the paranormal. Mm. It's uh, it's, it's like a, it's like a, an Alton Towers ride, really. You can get yourself worked up into a frenzy of fear yeah i i I think it's it's a very well handled horror film it took me by surprise and i'm seriously stoked that you you put this on your list it's it's a great film it's a film which i highly recommend to as many people as possible it's such a good choice well done kev what's your number six gonna go a bit obvious one now with uh the omen okay um Good. Um, we all know about the Omen, so I won't bang on about the Omen. I just, again, I think it's I'll, I, the, the premise of it needs it, it is brilliant. So I like the idea. When I say I like the idea of an antichrist, um, <laughs> yeah. as a Catholic, nobody wants that to be said. But do you know what I mean? As yeah. I like the idea that that uh, I like powerful demons in films. I like possession films. I like films where I like films which which I like. I suppose I like films which make mortal human beings afraid of something they don't understand sure and the omen does that obviously in spades there's also some talking about those scenes that stick in your in your mind there's obviously 
the one that always got me from when I watched it first, like at age 12 or something, is the nanny scene mm-hmm. where she kills herself and jumps. It's all for you, Damien, and jumps off and hangs herself. And it's that, that that's so well done, that scene. I know it's just basically a suicide. It's the smile on her face and that sort of encapsulates really the smile on the face of the nanny as she jumps to her death. Mm. But it ties in all, also with Rosemary's baby and that attitude of death is good if it's to serve the devil. Mm. And it, there was that thing during <laughs> that era of like, do horrific acts with a smile on your face for Satan. And I like that sort of insanity aspect within a film. Sure. I like that because that's what it would be. You know what I mean? If, if the devil's real and if the ability to possess people is real and all this, it wouldn't necessarily be, and I'll come on to it with me number one film when I get to it, but or it wouldn't necessarily be like, nah, nah, I'm possessed, nah. It wouldn't <laughs> be like that. It would, it would be like the smiling nanny just killing themselves. It would be like Rosemary's Baby where they're all like, well, we'll look after the baby. Well, we're going to kill it. Yeah, we're going to kill it, but we'll look after You know, there'd be, a, a, there'd be an absolute air of calm about it. Mm. And that's the, the terrifying thing when it's done well. And that scene with the nanny is, 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 is typifies that, really. I should point out, because, yeah, we all know the omen. My cousin is the girl who first screams in that scene. No way. Absolutely, yeah. My my cousin, uh, I won't name her. Uh, I don't think she does acting anymore. I think she does, like, stage dancing and stuff. And she also, do you remember Rod Hull and Emu? Yeah. And Grot Bags? She was a dancer for them. I mean, I'd stick to the omen story first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, what happened, um, it's my understanding that it's, uh, she's the girl, I think she's wearing red, where basically uh, the mum, uh, uh, the nanny says, it's all for you, Damien, and then like, jumps down, smashes the window. The mum cradles Damien, and the girl reacts and screams, that's my cousin. Amazing. Yeah. God, that is a literal claim to fame. I love that. <laughs> well, I absolutely love that. It's a, it's a very, very, very not massive claim to fame. But I, I tell you what, much like uh, the amateur horror, um, bear in mind, I'm, I'm going to be really mean about my parents now, so sorry, Mum. My mum, because of that, and because uh, when I was younger, I was massively into films, she would send me to school with books. So, And one of the books that I went to school with was The Omen. And I had it confiscated because it was it was Catholic school, and there was yeah. me walking in with the omen, just like, yeah, this is interesting. I think I was maybe about five, and I was reading the wow. omen. It's, yeah, good parenting, mum. Well done. Uh, although, actually, yeah. I will say on Facebook should, today, she said that I should try crack cocaine. Just, <laughs> just that's, that's my mum. <laughs> if your mum's ever in Liverpool, tell us to give us a knock. <laughs> Um, that's really awesome. I'm so glad. I mean, it, it, yes, you're right. The Omen is a kind of obvious choice, but also at the same time, because it is such a classic film, it deserves to be on so many people's top ten lists. You know, in fact, yeah. if if I'm honest, I'm pretty sure it's in my top ten list. All right, I'm just gonna give a quick rundown of what you've picked so far. Uh, um, it, I'm going to sound a little bit like um, some sort of radio DJ now. Not very I'm well. This. Go on. Right. So, <laughs> well, this is what I'm going to say. In at number ten, we have Amateurville from 1979. In at number nine, we have When the Lights Go Out, based on the Black Monk of Pontifact. At number eight, we have 1994's The Crow, which I'm going to say it's a horror film. Number seven, we have a fantastic underrated gem in Fallen. 
And at number six, we have The Omen, which is a standard classic. So well done, man. Good shout. Number five, mate. Give it to me. So number five, this is the one that I've been banging on about one scene. So this, I literally couldn't tell you what happened to the start of the film, at the end of the film. It's Exorcist 3. Okay, okay. And I, I think I can guess the scene, but go for it. Yeah, and it's one scene because it was done spectacularly well. Hmm. And I honestly think anyone who hasn't watched this scene, you can. I watched it earlier in the day, actually. You can watch it on YouTube. You just need to Google, very simply, uh, Exorcist 3 Decapitation. <laughs> and if you watch that scene genuinely... Then cast your mind over any or the majority of recent horror films, paranormal horror films that you've seen, and they've all borrowed from this scene in how they do it. In one way or another, they've all borrowed from this. And the scene in question is, it's a nurse in a hospital, it's late at night, it's about two in the morning, and the shot is just down a corridor. Mm. So the camera is at one end of a corridor looking right down this corridor with rooms coming off either side. And she's going about checking these rooms and she's got a set of keys. She goes, she's disappearing into the room on the left, comes out, locks it, disappears into the room on the right. Then she moves up a, like a set of rooms, next door, left, next door, right. And it goes on almost almost amateurville dishwashing long to the point where you're like, well, nothing's <laughs> going to happen here. Yeah. And then just when you think that, she comes out to one of the doors to the left and the most perfect distance behind it, and it is the most perfect distance, when you picture it, there's like a white shrouded being with mm. a pair of garden shears around her neck, yeah, ready to, to clip her head off. But she doesn't realise it. She just continues to walk, and the thing is literally like millimetres behind her, following the same pace. Yeah, and she disappears into the room to the right, and then obviously you don't see what's happened. Again, it's just it's stuck. Ever since I've seen that, it's stuck in my mind, and I thought. Like, I couldn't tell you what happened before or after. The rest of the film can go hang for all I care. <laughs> if I bought the DVD of Exorcist 3 and it was just two minutes with that on, I'd be like, that was a worthy purchase. <laughs> that's, that's a good shout. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with liking a film for one scene, you know? I And, I mean, it's The Exorcist 3. I, I, I love The Exorcist, so, you know, it, yeah. it, it's a good film for me. I, 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 remember, I remember my dad rented that for me. My parents are terrible. I'm so bad. I'm slacking them <laughs> off like mad here. They can disown me or something. My dad rented it for me and some friends uh, when it had just come out on video, which was like 1990, 1991. So I was like yeah. 10 or 11. And I remember that during that scene, I actually went to the kitchen to go and get my friends drinks. And when I came back in, they were like, ah, this is horrible. What just happened? And I was like, well, oh, well, let's rewind it. No, 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 we've got to see what happened. So I missed it. I had to watch it later on when they all went home. But I, uh, for me, the scene which stuck out apart from that scene was the bit where mm. the woman crawls across the ceiling. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah, oh, yeah. God, that's horrible. Oh, do yeah. you want to hear a really hilarious, interesting fact about The Exorcist 3? Of course I do. The exorcism at the end of the film, you, I can't remember the name of the priest, but he's stood there, there's flames around him, he's uh, he's trying to read the passage uh, yeah, in the yeah. Bible, and suddenly these snakes appear around him, these cobras with their hoods up. Now, the interesting fact about this was the fact, originally, there was a company, because in Hollywood they go to companies to hire the animals, yeah. and there was a company who had snakes, 
the production company approached them and said, oh, can we use your snakes for The Exorcist? And they went, no, our snakes will never be in such a horrible film like that. <laughs> oh, poisonous snakes, but they don't defile themselves, sir. Exactly. They're yeah. not some broomsticks, sir. <laughs> the, the curse of the exes just goes quite far, so... <laughs> Actually, that's something I don't want to ever encounter, a possessed cobra. That would be quite weird. Christ, yeah, that'd be awful. <laughs> but, yeah. Possessed by Ronnie Corbett or something, in which case, that'd be fine. <laughs> Oh yeah, actually, a, a, a possessed Ronnie Corbett, I'd be all right with that. But possessed Black Mamba, nah, nah, nah not your Nelly. Not like nah. that. <laughs> okay, cool. What's your number four? So my number four is um, Blair Witch, the original Blair Witch. Okay. And again, I like like I've mentioned this many times now, but I like it when you don't see stuff. And if you do see stuff, I want it to be done well. Yeah. I want it to be done in a, in a way which you think, I think that's how that would happen. As opposed to, well, why is that there? And um, the Blur Witch is a, all the fact it was done on a budget, it was done almost like an amateur film. It was marketed really well with the whole backstory and little YouTube videos to back up the myth of the Blair Witch and yeah. uh, the killer in the woods and all that carry on. So all that was done really well. But again, you don't see anything. And it ties in, like on a on a personal level, I've always had a bit of an interest in, like, in, within the paranormal world of, of like elemental spirits, okay, and um, like forest spirits and you know things such as that. There's a there's an element of that in it too, with things hanging in the trees and and the witchy sort of side of things. And I don't I know the Blair Witch, but I mean the sort of the acts, the stacking of the stones, and uh, things like that. And obviously, because you don't actually see something throughout the film, really. Mm. Um, yeah, I just thought it was done very well. Um, I know it was mainly all ad-libbed as well, so uh, I think, was it you who was telling me about the, the notes and the milk bottles and stuff? No, but I I, I had, uh, what is it, essentially it was almost a script in there. They had, had yeah. like, points that they needed to go to to make the story go along. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Apparently so, so they didn't know, they just had, like, a... Um, a milk bottle that they'd be given coordinates and they'd go to the coordinates and there'd be three milk bottles with their name on hmm. and it'd have pointers on and they didn't know what the others were so one would be like you're now paranoid of john for example hmm. and john wouldn't know but you had to then start acting suspicious of john and they'd film and then they'd walk to the next location it's a very clever way of doing it if you're trying to catch something which is allegedly you know a real found footage sort of thing so i'd only found that out recently i thought that was amazing i thought oh, that's good it. yeah but yeah, in terms of the rest of it, like the how it was shot, yeah, just all of it, like even getting up to the point of getting to the house and things like, you know, the house wasn't there before. Again, that's been used in something recently. I've seen a really good film. I think it's The Ritual, which is actually a really good scary film. And there's something, they go through a forest instead of going around the forest in The Ritual. And when they're in the forest, a house seems to appear. And yeah. again, I think that's the kind of, not necessarily nicked it, but I know within The Blair Witch, they get lost, obviously, and then there's like there's a house, and they're like, that wasn't there before. But they, they don't dwell on that enough for you to go, what, you're trying to convince me that a supernatural house has appeared? You know, they, they leave it as ambiguous so that it could well have been there before, they just haven't noticed it. Mm. So I just think all in all, it's, it's, it's done very well and acted out. You know, they don't tell you what's going on. And hence, the interesting thing, obviously, is the fact that due to all of the marketing they've done beforehand and releasing little documentaries about the alleged witch and... People go into Burkittsville to interview the residents and stuff. And all that seemed very well. Thinking about it now, they kind of done all of the backstory within those documentaries 
that they put on YouTube and stuff, mm. so that when you watch the film, the guys acting out within the film didn't necessarily have to give you much of a plot line. They just had to be genuine about what they were experiencing because you've already went in if you bought into the whole thing mm. with, with the, the knowledge of the backstory. So you were kind of filling in the blanks when they were leaving it quite ambiguous. Mm. So again, it, it kind of felt a bit interactive. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the film which you could take it either two ways. It could be the film that built the internet or the internet that built the film, you know? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. remember the websites. Uh, I remember it, it was like everyone was saying, oh, it's the scariest thing. This is like six months before it's been released. And yeah. I, I, I was quite heavily invested, I admit. And yeah, uh, I, <laughs> the only thing that I'll say is before I went in, because... The way my mind works, I was like, well, hold on. If these people were scared and they're probably going to die because it's a horror film, surely they can't show people dying on a horror film. You know, they, that's not going to be something they'll release. Oh, here's this person who's about to be killed. That's not going to be real. So therefore, yeah, it's going to be fake, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a gory film, really, or anything yeah. like that. But I will say, it's not a film that I really like. I admit, but it, you know, I think it's because I was like, oh, it's all a fake before I'd even seen it. Yeah. You know, I'd already dismissed the film. So that's my fault for not liking it. But like I always say, if somebody finds something good about a film that I'm not a fan of, then absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, who am I to judge? I, I'm a person who owns multiple copies of the exist i i own anaconda 2 blood orchid which i still maintain is a good film <laughs> you know uh, so yeah fair play man that's yeah. awesome okay uh what's your number three uh, my number three is two films combined whoa 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 you i said top 10 not top 11 bloody hell well right. it's top 10 and half really <laughs> it's it's top 10 with a fat Okay. Um, and this is the fat number three. So <laughs> it's Skeleton Key and Get Out. Because, and the reason why I've combined them is because they cover the same paranormal type of experience. So Skeleton Key is the Kate Hudson one. I think it's Kate Hudson anyway. From mid-90s, I want to say. And obviously Get Out is Get Out yeah, of recent Pill, years. Yeah. But they both deal with... It's more or less... It's, it's, it's a exceptionally similar story really it's a cult elderly people mm. looking to further the lives by doing spells which can inhabit the bodies of younger people and it's done very well in both films different ways of doing it in both films but still i think they're both they're both done around the same area as well you know, like they're both based in the south there's like a not necessarily a voodoo element i don't want to say that but there's a skeleton key you know, is in new orleans and i think uh get out is in uh, uh i think it's uh louisiana sort of thing so it is very yeah. sort of that sort of area of america yeah 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 it's i know that um skeleton keys i think a bit more voodoo-y but yeah i, I just think that they're both done very well they're both they're, and there's something to it you know um when i say there's something to it funny enough I, I let me just say mildly that if anyone got hold of my internet history they would lock me away but not for the reasons that most people assume they'd be locked away they'd lock me away for somewhere safe and padded because um recently funny enough i can't even remember where it was or what i was reading but i, I can go down these rabbit holes of occult mm. paraphernalia and what was it i was reading 
I don't know. But it was a spell called the Red Ribbon Spell or something. And anyway, long story short, it's entirely this. So it's based on it's based on like a cult folklore, really. The idea, the idea that you can put your soul into a younger vessel. And interestingly, there's talk. I've, I've covered this off on another podcast, and I'm just saying this now whilst it's in my mind. We all know David Bowie was big into the occult mm. at, at different phases in his career. And if you look at the Black Star video, David Bowie's Black Star, yeah. there's a few hops. Big, I'm going to go on a little bit about Bowie, but it's kind of relevant. No, it's fine. Skeleton, sure. skeleton, skeleton cake, unbelievably. When Bowie was in his occult phase, he was looking at like the the Kabbalah and stuff like that. Mm. And I, I forget now because it was a while that I looked into it, but I think it was on his Station to Station album. There's a, a picture of him on, that you can see online of him wearing like a particular lycra suit with like lines across it. Yeah. And he sat next to a drawing on the floor of like the Kabbalah tree. Uh, that was him at the height of his occult. Um, and then since then in the 90s, he said, oh, it's all nonsense. You know, we've seen some stuff, but you know, I'm not into that anymore. I'm into the Pet Shop Boys and stuff like this. <laughs> and he was listening to Oasis and all this. But then obviously he became ill and he recorded Black Star, the album. Yeah. And if you look at, if you look at Black Star, the video for the song Black Star, I think personally, there's touches where I think in his when he realised he was at death's door, literally, I think he turned back to an interest in the occult. Because if you look at the Black Star video, he's scribbling away in front of a crystal skull, um, mm. frantically scribbling. It's like you know, not necessarily spells, but like the creativity in him, almost like not wanting to die. And out of the cupboard, he comes, and he's dressed in the same like suit from station to station when he was banged into the occult. Mm. Now, the rest of the video for Black Star is a group of people like uh, on some planet or far away, they're holding up a skull and doing a chant. And then in the loft of the house that he's in, there's a group of young people in a sort of trance, like yeah. um, shaking at the same time that this other group are doing this ritual of some sort. And there's a some, there's a there's a chance he's saying within the song like in the spirit of Armin or something like this. Anyway, it could be looked at the particular the, the chance he's doing within that song. It comes from a spell from the Golden Dawn. Anyway, and it's a similar sort of vessel spell where you put your soul into another vessel. Yeah. And personally, as somebody who, who's, who's mad on all this sort of stuff, I look at the Black Star video as Bowie doing a take on that. I'm not saying that's what he'd done. Or that David Bowie's now in the vessel of another person walking around. The point is, getting it back to the skeleton key and get out, is that this idea has existed long before these films. And it's an interesting idea in the world of the occult that you can... It's, I forget the actual... There's a word for it. It's not transmutation, but it's something similar where you can put your soul into another vessel. And I just think both these films do it very well well enough individually because nobody watched Get Out and thought, well, that's just a remake of The Skeleton Key because it mm. wasn't, because they were done from a different angle. Yeah. But yeah, that, so that's why those two go in because I think they're very rarely connected as a as similar horrors, but in essence, they're dealing with a very specific type of paranormal event. Yeah. And, you know, the way like we will all look at Exorcist films and Possession films and you can pile up the number of Possession films... But in terms of this exact sort of occult phenomena, they're the only two films that I'm aware of that cover that topic. So that's why they sit side by side at big fat number three. 
I mean, you you explained that so well. Yes, I, I completely and agree with you. And I think your your mad conspiracy theory is very... Yeah, okay, I, I can kind of see that. I know exactly what you mean about the, the station station cover. Uh, it's a back cover, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Watch Blackstar, everybody who's listening, and you'll see... You'll see what I'm referring to. It's uh, it, there's a lot of messages in his in his in Black Star as an album, yeah. and I think I think he, you know, where they say, you know, the closer you get to death, the more you start questioning spirituality and mm. all that. Well, he'd, he'd already done that, and then he seems to have gone away from it. I I genuinely think he went back headlong into the occult in his last days. Personally, I will say that Skeleton Key is. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't very popular. It wasn't one of these big films. Yeah. It wasn't very successful. And it was directed by the... Do you know the Beatles film, Backbeat? Yes, by... Um, was it Peter Howitt who made that up? No. no, it was by a guy called Ian Softley. And he's the guy who directed Skeleton Key. It's the same oh, director. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think Skeleton Key... I, I remember the last five, ten minutes of that film are pretty, pretty fucking freaky, if I'm honest. Get yeah. Out is uh, just a fantastic film. I, I can see the connection. I think that's a really good uh, comparison between those two films. And you don't get many of those sort of films either. I mean, you, you barely get films that involve voodoo anyway. And Get Out was just such a pinnacle film, not just because of the the Jordan Peele being a, a young black director and writer, you know, it, yeah. it, it it was also, again, it was a very new concept. But even though, like you say, the concept isn't actually that new because Skeleton Key did it like 10 years before. But yeah, no, that's yeah. that's a really, uh, I, I keep saying a good shout, but seriously, man, your list is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So let's have a think. That's number three. Number two. Number two, we're going back to what, what you everyone will have on the list and it's the exorcist <laughs> because why not um but again there's a there's a bit of a difference for the exorcist because i got interested in the exorcist because as i say i've always been interested in spooky stuff and i was more interested in everyone everyone's reaction where i'm people may not know this in america or elsewhere but liverpool is a largely irish community it's got yeah. it's got the, well it did have the largest irish community in England, uh, because we're basically 20 minutes flight to yeah. Dublin. Yeah. And like my family are all Irish. All of my friends' families are all from Irish. We've all got like, like by one generation, my granddad was Irish, my mates, dad's Irish. You know, there's, a, there's a big Irish connection. And we're all, well, all of my friends, we're all Catholic. And we did have, when I was a kid, there was the literally the Catholic Protestant fights. You yeah. Know, like, uh, we were a Catholic school, there's Protestant school at the back, and we would have fights every yeah. half term. And it's so it's not just something that happens like in Ireland, the, these sorts of idiotic battles. So there was like little Catholic areas and there's Protestant areas and stuff like that. And like when we have an Orange Lodge march, there's certain roads they won't go down, and yeah. you know, Catholics will shut the blinds and all this. So living in a, uh, as, a as a young kid anyway, in, in a very Catholic area and community, the absolute vilification that the exorcist received just made me want to watch it yeah over and over you know it was we were told it was banned and you know like in, it, it went in and out of banning with bbfcs or whatever else mm. but you know we were told ne it's never coming in this house was told to me many a time 
and if somebody had watched it, I'd say, well, like John's been allowed to watch it. And go, well, John's mum and dad mustn't care for him, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And you're like, I went out with a girl once when I was about maybe seventeen, and took I, I managed to get a copy of it uh, on VHS. Her mum wouldn't let it in the house; it had to stay <laughs> in the porch. And like seriously, the amount of like terrifying power that was put on this film over any other film at all was just enough to make me want to watch it over and over and over again. And so it did. And then in later life, obviously, when you're into this sort of stuff, you you watch the documentaries and you learn about the thing that sticks with me when you find out, like, you know, not necessarily curses about it, but there's um, an interview on one of the Mark. Is it Mark Commode? The yeah. guy who does the things. Yeah, The Fear of God. A, Fear of God, yeah. On the Fear of God documentary, he talks to the fellow who plays Father... Caris, Damien Caris, he's and Damien Caris, the 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 actor. Well, I can't don't know who plays him. Uh, Jason Damien. Miller. Jason Miller. Um, well, Jason Miller says they actually done the filming for some of the scenes in the Jesuit quarters, hmm. and he he was out and about doing something in between scenes, and a priest came up to him and said, "Have you heard about intervention?" And he said, "No," and he put a Saint Christopher or something in his in his hand and said, intervention is when you try and expose the devil for the liar that he is, he'll try and find a way to stop you. Yeah. Um, so keep hold of this medal, and blah, blah, blah. He went very well. And a couple of days later, the actor's walking down the Jesuit quarters again, and in one of the alcoves, something catches his eye. And when he looks in, the priest who gave him the medal is laid out in a coffin, yeah. died overnight. And, you know, things like that just give power to the myth around the film. And, you know, to the film itself, the film itself is done exceptionally well. It's where, in all honesty, I genuinely believe it's where the absolute thing that still hangs around about Ouija boards, never play with them, you don't know what you're going to bring through. Like, Ghost Hunter shows where they say, well, we never use Ouija boards. All of that, I think, has sprung from Captain Howdy coming through on that board yeah. in the first scene. Well, it, it was a kid's to toy, all. you know? Yeah, well, yeah. It was for, what, uh, 20 years before The Exorcist came out, it was a kid's toy, it was a as popular as Monopoly is, yeah. you know, and then suddenly the Exodus comes out, and yeah, I, I ain't fucking touching it. <laughs> well, exactly, and you know, and there's an argument. Just very quickly touching on the idea of Ouija boards, which is where the alleged demon Pazuzu comes through, is you can have several takes on it. You can have the the skeptic says, "Well, you're pushing it," and the idea, no one's disputing that people push a Ouija board planchette. You're not aware you're doing it. Idiomotor effect. But the, then the thing is, well, if you're subconsciously pushing it, what are you receiving through your subconscious to push it? Good point, so yeah. Ju- just because you're pushing it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not an evil spirit that's directing it. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, completely. I don't know. Um, can I ask a question about The Exorcist? Because I, I, I will try not to speak for hours about The Exorcist. How old were you when you first saw it, and where were you when you first saw it? Well, like I said... I couldn't get a copy of it. There was no internet. DVDs weren't around. You, you're relying on someone with a copy of it on VHS. Mm. I can't describe accurately because it'll sound fake just how how vilified the film was. It was almost like porn. It would be like, a, a, like as a 14, 13-year-old, can I watch this film? You may as well have said, can I watch hardcore porn? Mm. You know what I mean? That, that was the likelihood of somebody just saying, yeah, there you go. But that said, I would have been about... I would have been... In fact, I'll tell you exactly how old I was. I was 15, okay. believe it or not, which is pretty late on. And it was VHS, and it was a copied VHS that someone had bought from a market or something like yeah. that. And I watched it alone upstairs in the room that I shared with my brother. I watched it in the middle of the afternoon, and I got halfway through it, and he had to stop 
and just have a walk around the garden in the daylight <laughs> because th- uh, remember up till this point this had been built up so much in my life oh god yeah yeah that this was like a pivotal moment in terms of experience and horror the and most petrifying moments yeah. and, and all this and i'll tell you exactly the, the moment that i paused it but this was again just to add to the actual absolute you know the horror of the whole film a bit where i think it's in a it's it's like a, a scene where he's either falling asleep or he's having a daydream about certain things, and it flashes up the face of Pazuzu. Yeah. But like, as in, like it's been painted on a man. Yeah. It looks part like a chimp sort of thing, and I paused it just at that moment that that face flashed up and that was frozen on the screen. <laughs> wow. And I had to, I had to press play again to get past it because I thought I'm not leaving that on the screen. <laughs> it just holds a power. Yeah. It just seems to hold a power. Just amazing from start to finish i'm so glad i'm so glad that you've got the exorcist on your list like i say i i could bang on for hours about that film uh the first time i ever saw it i saw it i um i wasn't one of these people who would hunt down pirated films and i already knew that the film was going to be re-released but i didn't Mm. i didn't have inside information or anything but it, it was announced in i think it was 1999 that the exorcist was coming back to the cinema yeah so i was like right okay i'm gonna go see it and i uh at the time i was in uni in southampton and i i went to this uh, little cinema and i went for the uh, the eight o'clock showing and right in front of me two girls sat down two school girls sat down and i was like they better not giggle if they giggle yeah during this I, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to find a brick because I've spent the last 20 years waiting for this film. No, no, it's not going to happen. And they, they bless them, they, they, didn't, they didn't say a word. I was so taken back by that film. I had built it up, much like you. I'd built it up yeah. to be this horrendous film that just had to be seen. It was going to be in the cinema, but the next day it was going to get taken out and banned for another 50 years or something. Because of that, I ended up watching it three times that night in the cinema. <laughs> and in the first screening, there was maybe about 50, 60 people. In the second screening, uh, there was maybe about 20, 15. And in the final screening, it was me and one man. And oh, I wouldn't like that. Jesus. It was... Uh, he, he was sat like... I was towards the back and he was sat five rows down and if i'm honest because i'd seen it i was kind of half keeping my eye on him as well um (laughs) but yeah i adore that film i i once spent uh 90 pounds which is quite a lot of money in english terms i don't know what that is in dollars to go and see the exorcist in a church Wow, that would have been nice. It it was absolutely fantastic. I've been see I went to see Jaws on the beach in uh, Brighton. And oh, that's cool. It you'd think that was really cool, but it started raining and it was really cold. Oh. <laughs> I know. But the Exorcist in a church. Oh, it, it was it was just amazing. It was fantastic. Yeah, well, I know there was because um, when I was do I'd done a show about like curses on films and stuff, mm. and one of the most interesting ones for the Exorcist was apparently it struggled to get a premiere in in Rome. For yes, reasons. yeah, this is the Exorcist one. It managed to get one in this square, yeah. and the church next to the square on the day of the premiere was struck by lightning. Yeah, and I always just think, yeah, this is um, see it's stuff like that, you know. I, I just I do adore it, and I know it's easy for people to say, oh, everyone's going to say the Exorcist. But in a way, it's kind of like saying who's, who's the greatest footballer of all time. You can't say Lionel Messi because 
it is that good. Every sort of trope that's been seen in later films, arguably, you could extrapolate back to the Exorcist in one way or another. I think. I personally feel it's a perfect film. Well done, man. Wait, oh, hold on. I've just realised that's your number two. The perfect mm. film is your number two. So. Well, no, it's a perfect film. As in, like, it's it does nothing wrong, but in terms of something that for me does everything right. Or should I say, let me think of a better way of putting this. Okay, so this is one of Kev's infamous terrible analogies. <laughs> um, let's say you've got uh, a rating from bad, all right, good, very good, amazing, mm. right? Uh, for me, The Exorcist is a perfect film. It sits from start to finish at very good throughout consistently. Okay, yeah. The film that sits at the top of my list, not necessarily a perfect film, but for me, it peaks the amazing several times throughout. But it can also dip down to like average and then back up to amazing. But there's one specific reason for, for this film. So the number one film, Oh, do you want to say what's your number one? We'll do it like that. <laughs> no, 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 man. You, you, I, I'm, I'm dying in anticipation here. Come on, man. Uh, okay. What's your number um, one? My number one film is Hereditary. Okay, okay, right, okay. There's several reasons for it. The main reason for it is the lack of redemption at the end. Right, Again, okay. there's spoilers within this, but... The, and also, the, so one, the lack of redemption, because... You know, in life, not everything is tied up neatly in a bow. And if you look at the majority of alleged real paranormal cases, they just stop. You know, some of them, yes, they'll stop because a priest has gone in and blessed the house or whatever. But nine yeah. times out of ten, they just stop. There's no rhyme and reason. They'll start with no rhyme and reason, and they'll stop with no rhyme or reason. Yeah. And although there is like a backstory of, again, grandparents being into the occult, and that's where the demons have come from. The end of the film ties in again with something I mentioned earlier about, for me, true demonic worship, sort of Satanism, sort of dark, dark powers and influences. There should be no reason when they come into our world or onto our plane that they go, and there is an element of that within Hereditary when the mother is possessed. But the key demon that is within Hereditary is a demon called Paimon. When Paimon takes its final host at the end of the film, which is the boy, the look on that boy's face from the minute he's possessed until the end of the film is exactly what I would imagine someone who's possessed to be like. Because think about it from this perspective. So unlike Reagan, when she's possessed in The Exorcist and she's like, ah, your mother cooks socks in hell and all that. And she's stabbing herself with the crucifix and yeah. her head's spinning around and she's vomiting soup. And she's looking for a fight, basically. If what we what we hear about demons and devils and possession and all this, if it's all true, you know, the, the reasoning behind why they do certain things, they would be like Paimon is in Hereditary. So it, they would want to keep quiet and they would want to keep on the down low and... They would just be looking... It's the ambivalence. So the two different possessed people... I don't remember the name of the guy in the <laughs> film. But let's say right, it's yeah. Peter. The, the way that Peter is possessed compared to Reagan being possessed is chalk and cheese. And Peter's one is more terrifying for me because it's just a look of absolute apathy on his face. Yeah. And at the very end, he's naked and all of his followers are naked. And 
he goes up into a treehouse and they crown him as King Pyman. Mm. Now, interestingly, again, why I like that film is because it ties into alleged real occultism. So in the Lesser Key of Solomon, which is this magical text from the Middle Ages, allegedly, there's a list of 72 demons which yeah. were cast away into a magical vial using these certain conjuration rituals and using certain sigils. You allegedly, in the real world of the occult, can draw on these demons to use them to get power or to learn secrets or whatever else. And within that that hierarchy of demons, Paimon is an actual king. Yeah. And interestingly, the, the sigil that they use in that film is the genuine sigil or sigil of Paimon. And that's why I thought this is a bit, this is a little bit touching cloth here, for want of a better <laughs> phrase, because it's the you know if would there are people out there such as myself who either have an interest or have a deep belief that this sort of sigil or sigil magic can work in the conjuration of these deities and they're openly putting into celluloid the sigil of Paimon or the sigil of Paimon and putting it out there distributing it and showing it in cinemas worldwide mm. and I don't know I've always wondered why that film didn't get more of a backlash from Catholic churches yeah. uh, or religious groups in general because it's literally dealing with demon worship it's showing the sigil or sigil however you want to pronounce it that allegedly conjures that particular demon into being i just think it's it's, it's well done all around as well like from the the little clicking sound that the girl makes to let mm. you know she's possessed to the part where the guy starts to get possessed within the classroom and he's he, his head slammed into the desk mm. and by an unseen hand and the whole family dynamic falling apart, which is exactly what would happen in a home where there's a paranormal force doing things. So I don't know. I just think from start to finish, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful. I've never used the word beautiful to describe any film ever, ever, other than Hereditary. I think it's a beautiful film from start to finish. It's it's a work of art. Brilliant. No, I I, I completely understand that and. Uh, what I will say is, uh, I, and again, I saw this at the cinema, and the cinema that I saw it at was uh, very, very dark. The screen was very, very dark. So, for instance, we, we saw Black Panther at the same cinema, and uh, I could barely see any Panthers. So, you know, <laughs> that's how bright the screen is. So, when it came out on Blu-ray, we, we brought it and watched it again, and it opened it up in such way uh it's there's you you talked earlier about subtlety in that film um towards the end uh there's a there's a camera shot of the house with uh people moving around not the dollhouse the actual house and yeah. in the forest there's loads of naked people around but because yeah. they're not being emphasized they're so subtle, and it's yeah. if you see it on a good screen, you're like, oh, 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 but what's that over there? It is so well handled, and again, like you say, it does actually reference an actual belief, an actual demonic possession, symbols and all. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. They, they, I don't think it has been criticised by anybody. I mean, it, it's quite strange. I, I never even thought about that, really. Yeah, Sorry. I mean it's it's. There's also like the scene at the end where he's crowned, the the occult group who's tried to get him possessed in the first place, so they can have King Paimon in the flesh to worship, and they're all naked, obviously up there when he's naked when he's crowned. There's 
this is the thing. This is why I think it's beautifully done because I questioned myself. There's a part in it where he he literally floats up from the ground into the treehouse. Yeah. Now me with everything I've said about the you know suspending your disbelief and stuff like that and jumping the shark, I've questioned why I I don't laugh at that and I don't scoff or and I don't say oh come on that's a bit far fetched because that is something I would find normally totally far fetched. Mm. But within that world and within that dynamic and within that belief system, you're already so far gone that it's absolutely acceptable that he would float into a treehouse. And then the, the congregation, if you like, like, in the treehouse, who were all bowed with their heads yep. worshipping him. There's a, I think there's one person, it might even be a fact that his mother, I think, who, when she's possessed, she she's possessed by a lesser demon at some point at the, towards the end. And she cuts her own head off. Yeah, that's a and, very grim bit, yeah. Which is a very grim bit, yeah, yeah. But then there's a little almost like, not an Easter egg as such, but when he floats up into the treehouse, yeah. the front row of people who are all bent down bowing to him, one has not no head yeah. because that's his yeah. mother. But again, it's the look of absolute apathy on his face and the smiles on the naked people around. Genuinely, if you, if you clothed, apart from the headless one, if you clothed everyone in that scene and moved them... Lifted them out of that treehouse and put them in a christening. You wouldn't bat an eyelid. Yeah. And that's what's terrifying. It's the facial expressions are just one of joy, happiness at the fact this demons come to life. Yeah. And I think that's what these groups would be like because they've won. You know, and there's there's no redemption. It ends with him being crowned. You know, yeah. A demon's arrived on earth, and that's the end of the film. Do you know what? I wasn't a massive fan of it at first. I liked it again. You've, yeah. you've really sold it to me. In fact, there's two films on your list that literally, as soon as we finish this, I might watch. So, Hereditary <laughs> is one of them. Um, what I will ask, because the director of uh, Hereditary, Ari Astra, he did a follow-up film called uh, Midsummer. Did you see that film? How did no, you feel? No. no? Okay. Because uh, a lot of the films on your list, actually, and a lot of more recent horror films are kind of folky films like for instance uh um hereditary midsummer uh the witch you know that they, they yeah and and the ritual is another one which lean on uh almost folklore i think i, I would say that um hereditary is the daddy of them all the folklore film i mean yes you, oh, okay. you you have things like uh the blair witch project back in the late 90s which was you you don't get many films about witches you you don't you don't know no not really. i think it's a hard it's a hard it's a hard tangent to go with the witch because everyone's just you, you say witch and you everyone's got an image you know you, you don't really have that with the paranormal as mm. such but yeah i think hereditary is an exceedingly well handled film you've made me ask questions about it. I'm going to have to look it up. I'm going to have to look to see why there wasn't any criticism from uh, any kind of church organisation. Because yeah. that, that is so weird. And again, they, the people went absolutely ballistic for The Exorcist, you know? Yeah. And, and, that, and that's the thing, like looking at them two side by side, I mean, I know it's different times, mm. but the, the demon within The Exorcist is, you know, that's a mess of, well, without getting... Art, like about it that's a mesopotamian demon that really doesn't it doesn't come into any sort of direct conflict with any sort of catholic or christian folklore other than that was just a belief similar like you know she may as well have got possessed by mars 
for example. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. like, it, it's a deity that existed in another part of the world many hundreds of years ago. Yeah. It's not something that is a direct conflict with Christianity, whereas Paimon is part of the demons that King Solomon cast away. So yeah. in theory, that's, you know, that should be much more of a, an antagonism to Christianity, but apparently not. I also will point out, because um, I haven't said her name for a while, the co-host of this, Freya, has a copy of the Let's See of Solomon. Uh, Solomon? It is Solomon. Yeah. Solomon. Yeah. She has a copy of that by the bed. Really? Yeah. Bit worrying. <laughs> he looks like his, his actual image, as depicted, is he's a very placid-looking fellow riding a camel. Yeah. But uh, apparently he's not so placid. Well, that's uh, well done, man. That's that's a that's a good number one. You know, I'm I'm incredibly impressed. And I know that you're not massive about films. I know that you're much more of a music and reading person. Uh, yeah. And I <laughs> I know that there was such not such challenge, but it was quite a challenge for you to come up with ten films that you yeah. you loved. And seriously, your entire top 10 list, or top 11, I should point out, mm. it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. There's there's so many good thank films you. on there. So well done, man. And and again, thank you so very much for doing this. This is, this is absolutely fantastic. You're very welcome. I apologise if this went on longer than you thought, but, you know. We Dude. probably didn't have to go today for Bowieland, but... <laughs> Dude, it's absolutely fine. Uh, the more time speaking with you, the better. Thank you so very much. I'm going to say that Everybody should listen to We Need to Talk About Ghosts. They should join the Facebook group. They should become Patreon. They should join up for the Dark Paranormal Patreon. Yeah, I think it's a Patreon forward slash... Yeah, dark, the Dark Paranormal, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Matt. No I, worries. I appreciate that. Fantastic. Well, good luck with that, mate. Uh, I thank you. cannot wait to hear it. And, uh, yeah, cheers. Thanks a lot, Kev. Thanks, mate. Speak Have a good soon. one. Cheers. Bye. Bye. That was the wonderful Kevin Eustace talking to Matt there. Yeah, you weren't about. I was unavailable. Yeah, you, your social life. Yes, it was lovely to have Kev on our show. I've been on his show a bunch of times. And it's just always good chatter with him. So, once again, thank you, Kev. Now, we've nearly reached the end of our special series of guest interviews. Who have we got coming up next? Next up, we have what I would call the greatest Scottish person that's ever lived. And that's quite a high achievement, I'm mm. sure you'll agree. We are going to be talking to David Keane, or Dave Keane, as he likes to be known. Dave has been a part of 15 Movie Clubs podcast. It's a special Patreon exclusive for Real Life Ghost Stories. And he is just the funniest, nicest man that I've ever met. When I did the interview with him, I think we were talking for close to three and a half hours, and it's been really difficult to edit. So, <laughs> wish me luck, guys. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Have you got some links for us? I certainly do. You can follow us on Twitter at Chainsaw Royal. We are on Instagram at RPCM underscore podcast. And you can email us on rpcmpodcast at outlook.com. Please share, like, review, all that shenanigans. And because it is very, very close to Christmas, I just want to take this time to say... I hope everyone has a fantastic time. I hope everyone gets to see their families. And I do hope that Santa delivers everything that you want for the big day. 
And if you happen to be isolating over Christmas and you're feeling a bit lonely, reach out. You can talk to us, talk to a friend. Yes, I will be about and I can chat to anybody who wants a bit of a friendly discussion about films. Although if you do slag off The Exorcist, I will block you. He's not joking. (laughs) I'm not. But yes, reach out to us. We're here for you guys. So until next time. I hope everybody has a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Toodles. Bye. Do 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 do